Welcome to the Council of Institutional Investors podcast on corporate governance and financial regulation. I'm Jeff Mahoney, the General Counsel of CII. The purpose of these monthly podcast episodes is to update CII members and the general public on developments in corporate governance and related CII advocacy activities in connection with the administration's initiative to reform the U.S. financial regulatory system. This update covers the period from March 26th to April 26th. So let's get started. Let's begin with Congress. The Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs, chaired by Michael Crapo of Idaho, held a hearing on April 2nd to examine the role of asset managers, proxy advisors, and retail investors in engaging with companies on environmental, social, and governance issues. Chairman Crapo stated that whether it is a company's use of a proxy advisory firm or an asset manager's investment decision-making policy, the retail investor should have a clear understanding of the decisions that are being made, which ultimately represent their shares. He also noted that in the 2018 proxy season, ESG proposals were the largest category of shareholder proposals on proxy ballots, with 15% of proposals climate-related and 14% related to political contributions. Observing that there has been an evolution in the concentration of control now held by a small group of asset managers voting a huge number of shares, he stressed that it's important to understand how institutional investors are voting the shares of the money they manage to make sure that retail investors' interests are being reflected in those voting decisions. Ranking member Sherrod Brown, the state of Ohio, in his opening statement indicated that corporate special interests want to limit investors' freedom to manage and run their funds and want to silence the voices of Main Street investors by making it harder for shareholders to petition companies to allow all the shareholders to vote on issues significant to the company. Senator Brown argued that study after study tells us that investors who pay attention to how companies affect workers and communities or environment do better over time. He also noted that it is not always easy to figure out which companies are thinking long-term and which companies are only thinking about the next round of stock buybacks. He also emphasized that lawmakers and regulators need to make sure that companies are providing critical information to the public. On April 8th, CI submitted a letter for the hearing record that discussed four of the issues raised at the hearing. The first topic discussed in our letter was human capital management disclosure. Our letter expressed general support for the March 28th recommendations of the Investor as Owner Subcommittee of the Securities Exchange Commission Investor Advisory Committee. That recommendation stated, quote, as part of its ongoing disclosure review, the SEC should undertake a robust examination of the role human capital management plays in value creation today and incorporate that analysis into the wide range of tasks the Commission performs on behalf of investors and the U.S. capital markets, unquote. The second topic discussed in our letter was environmental, social, and governance disclosure. Our letter indicates that we believe that clear and more comparable information about key ESG risks would benefit investors and the U.S. capital markets, and that as part of its routine disclosure review, the SEC staff should actively challenge issuers to disclose material ESG risks. The final two topics discussed in our April letter to the Senate Banking Committee were shareholder proposals and proxy advisory firms. With respect to shareholder proposals, we generally agreed with Senator Brown's statement at the hearing that the current debate surrounding shareholder proposals appears to be an effort by some corporate special interests to silence the voices of investors by making it harder for them to file shareholder proposals on issues that are of significance to companies and their owners. With respect to proxy advisory firms, we suggested that the Securities Exchange Commission should encourage private sector solutions to some of the alleged problems, including supporting the strengthening of the proxy advisory firm's best practices principles. 
We also recommended that the commission should improve its oversight of the SEC's existing guidance on proxy advisory firms contained in the 2014 SEC Staff Legal Bulletin Number 20, which CII publicly supported when issued and continues to support. On April 3rd, the House Committee on Financial Services Subcommittee on Investor Protection, Entrepreneurship, and Capital Markets, chaired by Carolyn Maloney of New York, held a hearing to examine six discussion drafts of legislation designed to hold public company executives accountable to both investors and the general public. On April 9th, CII issued a letter for the hearing record expressing general support for four of the six draft bills discussed at the hearing. We chumly supported the draft of the Insider Trading Prohibition Act, agreeing that the bill would provide investors and other market participants with a clearer, simpler standard of the current law of insider trading. We also chumly supported the draft 8K Trading Gap Act of 2019. We agree with the reported view of SEC Chairman Clayton that it was wrong for executives to make money based on significant non-public information in the days leading up to the filing of a Form 8K and that companies should have policies and procedures in place to limit certain executives from trading during that time period. We also generally supported the Draft Investor Choice Act of 2019. Consistent with CI membership-approved policies, that draft bill would prohibit public companies from including mandatory arbitration clauses in their bylaws and other corporate governance documents. Finally, our April 9th letter to the subcommittee generally supported a draft bill to require the SEC to complete its rulemaking required by Section 954 of the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act of 2010 on clawbacks. We believe a final SEC rule on clawbacks, as proposed in 2015, would be consistent with CII membership-approved policies and is long overdue. Turning now to the White House... On April 2nd, President Donald J. Trump announced his intent to nominate Allison H. Lee of Colorado to be a commissioner of the Securities and Exchange Commission for a five-year term expiring June 5th, 2022. Ms. Lee is a veteran securities law practitioner of more than two decades. Ms. Lee served at the SEC from 2005 to 2018 in various roles, including senior counsel in the Complex Financial Instruments Unit and as counsel to Commissioner Kara M. Stein, whose seat Ms. Lee would be filling upon her confirmation. The administration has recently submitted Ms. Lee's papers to the Senate Banking Committee, which officially starts the confirmation process. It's expected that the Senate Banking Committee confirmation hearing and subsequent vote in favor of Ms. Lee's nomination will likely occur in the next several weeks. Ms. Lee's nomination would then need to be approved by a vote of the entire United Senate. It's far less certain how long it might take for that vote to ultimately occur. On a related note, on April 16th, the Wall Street Journal reported that SEC Commissioner Robert J. Jackson Jr. was expected to leave the commission and join New York University Law School for the fall 2019 semester. That story proved to be inaccurate. We are very pleased that Commissioner Jackson has accepted our invitation to speak at CII's Fall 2019 Conference in Minneapolis, Minnesota in September. And we are confident that Commissioner Jackson will be speaking as an SEC commissioner at that time. In other White House news, on April 10th, President Trump ordered the U.S. Department of Labor to report within 180 days on trends in ERISA plan investments in the energy sector and review whether existing Department of Labor guidance on fiduciary duties for proxy voting should be rescinded, replaced, or modified to ensure consistency with current law and policies that promote long-term growth and maximize return on ERISA plan assets. The instruction to the Department of Labor is part of a broader order framed around promoting energy production and infrastructure, specifically coal, oil, and natural gas. 
Other sections of the order also call for the Department of Transportation to pursue rulemaking for new liquefied natural gas facilities and a review of the state and tribal roles in the certification of projects that affect water quality. Most legal experts believe the impact of the executive order is likely to be more symbolic than substantive and question whether Department of Labor even has the resources and the information to fully respond to the president's request. On April 11th, the Trump administration acted to curb the power of federal regulators, including the Securities Exchange Commission, to issue guidance. Specifically, the Office of Management and Budget Acting Director sent a memorandum to leaders of all executive departments and federal agencies that requires them to submit guidance documents to OMB for review. The memo said OMB will establish guidelines for analysis that the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs will use to properly classify regulatory actions for purposes of complying with the Congressional Review Act. Enacted in 1996, the Congressional Review Act establishes expedited procedures by which Congress may disapprove a broad range of regulatory rules issued by federal agencies. The OMB memo includes three major points. First, it reaffirms the broad scope of the Congressional Review Act to all federal agencies, including the historically independent agencies like the SEC. Second, the OMB memo establishes a process to identify, quote, major, unquote, rules that must comply with the Congressional Review Act. And third, the OMB memo provides guidance for the type of analysis required for those determinations. That analysis would include whether the rule or guidance would likely result in a major increase in costs to consumers. The memo also emphasizes that the Congressional Review Act applies to a wide range of regulatory actions, not just notice and comment rules. It includes guidance documents, general statements of policy, and interpretive rules. The new process outlined in the OMB memo will become effective on May 11, 2019. As a practical matter for investors, the OMB memo would appear to require additional administrative procedures be performed before the SEC and other federal departments and agencies issue a broad range of guidance. For example, the memo could have implications for potential SEC staff guidance on proxy advisory firms, an action that's generally opposed by CII members who are the primary consumers of those firm services. On that topic of proxy advisory firm regulation, Rick Fleming, the SEC investor advocate, commented in a recent speech that, quote, it is hard to imagine that a serious economic analysis could justify a rulemaking to cure a purported problem when investors, the supposed victims of the harm, have denied that a significant problem exists, unquote. In other SEC news, the SEC's Investor Advisory Committee met on March 28th. That meeting included a discussion of issues related to the regulation of the major stock exchanges in which CII Executive Director Ken Birch participated. Mr. Birch expressed CII's concerns about investor protection under the modern exchange regulatory structure. He emphasized that it's time to revisit whether the current regulatory framework is adequate in an era of commercial for-profit exchanges that compete globally. He explained that stock exchanges hold significant self-regulatory responsibilities while monetizing their role as gatekeepers and holders of information critical to high-functioning capital markets, and that the exchanges sometimes act as trade associations that advocate for policy goals that help them gain listings. As for-profit entities seeking company listings, Mr. Birch argued that stock exchanges have been engaging in a race to the bottom in terms of listing standards. 
He noted that when the Hong Kong exchange permitted certain dual-class listings in 2018, it cited pressures from competition with the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ as a driving factor. Mr. Birch advised the SEC to consider taking the following four approaches to addressing market structure issues regarding the stock exchanges. First, continue to pursue the transaction fee pilot for NMS stocks to provide the data needed to improve trading fee structures that are optimal for customers. He stressed that the Commission should not be deterred by litigation the exchanges had filed to block the pilot. Second, the Commission should encourage its staff to explore the speed, content, depth, transparency, and access of consolidated core data. Fees paid to the exchanges on a product-by-product level, as well as revenue expense information on data fees, technology fees, and connectivity fees, should be disclosed. Third, the Commission should explore with caution whether markets for thinly traded securities could be enhanced by suspending rules that push trading to all exchanges. And finally, the Commission should work with the exchanges to ensure that they post the rulemaking petitions they receive, as well as the comment letters sent in response to those petitions. Finally, on March 18th, uh, CII issued a comment letter to Securities Exchange Commission in response to their solicitation of comments on the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board's proposed rules related to auditing accounting estimates and the related proposed rules on the auditor's use of the work of specialists. Our letter expressed support for both proposed rules. Among the many benefits, we believe that proposed rules should improve communications between the auditor and the audit committee and between the auditor and investors. And therefore, the proposed rules have the potential for assisting investors in making more informed proxy voting decisions on the election of audit committee chairs and members and on the ratification of the external auditor. That completes my corporate governance and financial regulatory update. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.